when I did tell them, it was like through a FaceTime. And I was like, look, I, you know, I do have it. And then they were like, oh, like, yeah, well, and, and they didn't know yet what to say, but they were just like, help us understand it. Like what, like they were pretty much basing the question off of why I would take medication. And I said, well, picture yourself going to a concert and you're in the mosh pit. Everything is just happening. And that's me no, no, with no medication. And they're like, okay. And I was like, and then when you go home, and you're all calm and your ears are pretty much leveled out and they're all good and like there's no sound. That's me on meds. And they were pretty much like, oh my God, that's a really good analogy. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45 and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. I'd like to share with you this review from a listener named Lena HT on the Apple Podcast platform in Denmark. It's entitled Monday Yet? Finally, I found time to write you a review thanking you for giving me knowledge of how my brain works and more of the self-acceptance I have lacked my whole life. Even though in a foreign language, your podcast has given me the vocabulary to start advocating a bit more for myself. After 36 years of masking and thinking, I just didn't get the whole memo, manual, puzzle pieces. I have binge listened to your episodes and find myself looking forward to every Monday for your next episode. Thank you from a mom who finally found the right puzzle box for my brain. Well, thank you, Lena. I love this. And it makes me so happy to know we're all developing this language together, regardless of where we're living or what language we're speaking. We're all finding each other and feeling less alone. And like you said, hopefully developing more self-acceptance. So if you're a listener of this podcast and you've been helped by these conversations, a lovely way to say thank you is to take a moment to leave a review. Or if that feels like too much, and believe me, I totally get it, just stop and quickly hit the five stars. You could go do it right now, I swear, we'll wait. And if you are looking for a safe, inclusive, friendly, and supportive group of women with ADHD who will have your back, why don't you come join us in the Women in ADHD online community? I always say that finding each other is such an important part of our treatment plan, and I'm so grateful for this online space for us to connect and ask questions and share strategies and advice or just vent. We also have monthly live Q&As with experts and office hours with our in-house therapist, Jules. I'm continually amazed at the level of empathy and kindness and thoughtfulness that exists in this group, something you don't see very often in social media spaces. So come join us over at womenandadhd.com. And of course, that link is in the show notes. Okay, here we are at episode 124, in which I interview Raylene Sebastian. Ray is a 25-year-old Australian-born Filipino woman and a military spouse who works as a recruitment consultant in an agency that hires childcare educators in Sydney. A former childcare educator herself, Ray has supported children and families from all diverse backgrounds and helped families with their children's diagnoses long before making the connections in her own life. 
Ray advocates for consent, mental health, military spouses, and lately ADHD in women since being diagnosed in November of 2022. She also loves strawberries, frequenting thrift stores, walking her sausage dog to the beach, and going on alphabet dates with her husband. We talk all about hyperfixations, dopamine dressing, life as a military spouse, and how her diagnosis has allowed her to help her family members better understand neurodivergence. Also, I want to mention that at one point in our conversation, I would talk about the learned experience educator, and I was actually referring to Sunny Jane Weiss, who is the lived experience educator, but I was clearly tongue-tied. So I just want to give a shout out to Sunny Jane Weiss, and there is a link to her website there. I apologize for getting your name wrong in the actual interview. Okay, without further ado, here is my interview with Ray. Well, Ray, thank you so much for joining me. Where in Australia are you? You're in Sydney? Sydney, yes. <laughs> yeah, I love, I, I'm so excited. I love the fact that I get to interview women of so many different ages and from so many different countries. Like I literally I have the best job in the world. I get so excited. Uh, so you're 25, correct? Yes, correct. <laughs> and um, why don't we start with kind of when you were diagnosed with ADHD and what was happening in your life at the moment that made you really start to think this could be ADHD? Yeah. I mean, much like yourself and, and everyone, it was like such a, such a long journey. And, you know, <laughs> you get to a point where you're like, oh, that's what it was, you know, and, you know, and it's just been so inspiring listening to you and, and everyone on this podcast. But yeah, so when I realized I didn't even know what it was until my sister-in-law kind of came in the picture and said, have you got this you know, like, and he, she didn't even come from a background in this or anything, but she had looked after children with autism and, you know, and the like. So she was like, you know, you're a growing 20 year old. What's, what's going on here? There's something going on there. But anyway, the whole process was just pretty much my years of struggle with high function anxiety, getting diagnosed with PTSD, and then always feeling like there was another answer. And just like, there's nothing, there's something that's not getting addressed here. You know, no matter how much all those psychologist appointments was going and all, this, all the therapy and all the strategies they've given me, I'm like, there's still something I'm not addressing. But yeah, and then it's funny because a coworker like two years ago had pointed out, it's like, oh, you touch your ear, your, your, your earlobe a lot. You rub your earlobe a lot. Um, I think that's your stim. And I'm like, what's a stim? Like, what is this? What are you telling me? And, you know, then I went down that pathway and um, I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I'm like, okay, well, my brother twirls his hair and, you know, and that just opened my eyes a lot more. But um, it was more so during COVID that my um, my sister-in-law kind of sent me this list of autism traits in women. And it was like, you know, just have a read. Like, you know, there's different types, but just have a read. And, you know, it doesn't have to apply to you, but just let me know what you think. I'm like, okay. And I remember just sitting down there reading this list and just freezing and just in, in shock and just I just felt tears just stream out of my eyes but it was just relief and it was just also like sadness because it was just like okay someone's told me through a list like how did I just not notice that before but no it, it was great because then I was like okay well okay let's let's figure this out well what is this so um and then eventually you know ask asking my psychologist like you know could this be ADHD that's presenting not just anxiety and PTSD and she was pretty much saying, like, you know, I think it's more just your anxiety. You know, don't really focus too much on that. But if you want to have give it a go, do it. I'm like, okay, fine. 
And then eventually, you know, COVID was a bit more crazier and I was like, you know what, well, I'm at home a lot. Let's really, let's really dig deep into this. And I found that there was this diagnostic center in Sydney um, that you could do like a pre-screen. So they pretty much give you this whole questionnaire and you just answer all these questions about your background, your medical background, all your history, any struggles that you might have had. Um, and then they get someone else to answer on your behalf as well and just kind of relay those um, experiences of what you felt and how they saw that through you. Um, and then I got it a week later and, and the um, neuropsychologist that wrote the whole assessment up said it's recommended that you get a full diagnostic, um, ADHD diagnostic assessment. And so, yeah, that's when I was like, okay, this is for real. Um, let's do this. And then so I went to my GP and then obviously got a referral and that also obviously took took a while. And I've heard other people on this podcast who have um, had quite some experience here that they've actually had a lesser wait time here than in most countries around the world. I only really had a two-month wait because my sister-in-law was like, well, have you actually chased them up? Because you sent the referral like two months ago. I'm like, ah, I'll, I'll have a look. And, you know, that's something that you forget, <laughs> right? Like it's just the time this and just there's so many things you're hyper-fixating on. So, And then eventually I called the um, clinic and they were like, well, yeah, we just received it. Do you want to book it? And I'm like, great, let's do it. Um, and it was funny because at that time I was, you know, was going to get married and they were like, so when is your next, when would you like to, to book it? And I said, oh, well, when's your next available appointment? And they said, well, November 15. And I said, cool, a week after I might get married. That's excellent, let's do it. And they were like, are you sure? Like, you're going to be in your honeymoon stage. I'm like, no, 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 this is more important. And my husband wants me to do this. And I want to do this. We need to look after ourselves. Let's do this. And they're like, that's great, do it. But yeah, then went to the appointment and pretty much they were like, yep, call your husband in. We're going to tell you both what's happening and you've got it. <laughs> so um but yeah, obviously, within all that, it's, it's been a lot more to to tell. So um, yeah, long journey. Oh wow, yeah. I know when you were talking about the that grief and elation and going back and forth, like I, I often call it, like a, it feels like a game of of shoots and ladders <laughs> with that feeling, right? Of, of feeling like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing. This diagnosis is the greatest thing that's happened to me, right? It's so much information. It's really tapping into who I am. And, and how, you know, and it's so empowering and it's so wonderful. But then at the same time, you're like, oh, you just get hit. Like my, you know, my heart will drop into my stomach when I think about the life I could have lived or just, you know, all of the ways in which I struggle needlessly still after a diagnosis and, and how, you know, going back and forth between like the disorder side of it and the superpower side of it. Yeah, absolutely. But no, it's, yeah, it's, I, but I think that's, the greatest thing though because then you can that's where you're like okay well that's a lot of learning and unlearning you know I'm, I mean you're constantly growing I think everyone has that uh that moment after the diagnosis where yeah it's the relief but uh, yeah the sadness for the past few years and and just how much you could have done but then you know your psychiatrist just tells you don't think that way you know think more progressively and and look to the future and, and do do what you can while you can so I'm like oh that yeah greatest tool you can think yeah yeah <laughs> Or how many women are told by their medical provider, like, oh, it's it's just anxiety, you know, like you just need you just need to have a nap or whatever they <laughs> tell you, right? Yeah. And it's like, I've had so many naps. You need to lower your expectations. That's right. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, how many naps can I have until I'm really okay then? Like, I don't know. So now, you had mentioned the earlobes stimming, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, but what were some of the things after your diagnosis where you looked back over your life and childhood where you were like, oh, the signs were there all along? Yeah. 
I think I, I always questioned that because, you know, my mum was always like, well, that was like you just calming yourself down as a baby, like you, that what you always, you know, you were sucking on the bottle and I'm like, okay. And then because I have a child, a, a childcare background, you know, I always watch these other children do the same and I'm like, okay, so that should be like, that's their thing as well. And, and but you know, that wasn't the only thing. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, apart from my earlobes, I, I remember just constantly having phases, you know, what they say, like, you know, but then obviously now I'm realizing that's hyperfixations in, in, in bigger, bigger um, situations, like, you know, how much I enjoyed musicals and just no matter how many years ago it was that I'd seen this musical, I'm still listening to that to this day. And it's just like, why? Like, it, it, it's amazing because, like, you you love it and you enjoy it. So, like, you know, you just you love that you just want to be in that moment all the time. You know, obviously, that's a whole positive side of that. But the RSDs is the biggest one that I've noticed is obviously the hugest part of of ADHD that can knock down a lot of of us. And and it's still a, like a a thing to learn how to how to juggle and manage because it's it's different for everyone and how it how you do manage and how you can get through it. But it, I think that one really struck me because I'm like how I was having so much difficulty transitioning from a high school structure to then going into college and then dropping out of college because all the disorganization was there and, and yeah, and how much RSD I experienced because of how different I had felt and, and just everything there. But yeah, that definitely presented how much ADHD really was there, but no one had really expressed that and pointed that out to me. And another one was definitely uh, my impulsivity. I mean, that's like a big one for us and like how much you dopamine seek. Actually, I recently learned, I'm not sure if it was on uh, here or, or, um, or on a forum uh, recently read, but it was like dopamine dressing. I'm not sure if you've heard of that term. Yes, I've heard of it. I don't know if it was a guest too or if it's the learned experience educator on Instagram. Yeah, she's amazing. Possibly. And I think she's actually Australian. Okay. Yes, um, but yes. she's she's a, has a great account and she calls she talks about dopamine dressing, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. I think that realizing that it's like, well, no wonder I love pink and red so, so much. And and I mean I'm I'm also super obsessed with like strawberries. So I think knowing that that was such like it is my longest hyperfixation. Like it's not just a faith, but that, you know, when people go, Well, you're that type of girl, it's like, oh, it's because I've just loved this the rest of my whole life. Like it's not all that <laughs> combined. I think about those children who are like really into a certain animal or a certain animal print. You see their bedrooms and it's just filled, right? With every single thing is covered in like cow print or, or you know, pigs. And it's like, oh, well, is this an early sign? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, well, you you had some difficulty in high school, right? I mean, you you were bullied quite severely. Is that right? Yes, correct. Do you look back through this lens of ADHD and think about sort of socially how that might have affected you and, and or especially with the RSD element, like how you reacted to it? Because you you started self-harm at that point, too, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. So it it's weird because a lot of it wasn't even how much I felt bad from the bullying. It was more how I managed it and how obviously it did affect me. But just how much the rejection part of it and how sensitive I was that, yeah, I was like, well, that's the only option I have. But I obviously not knowing what it was then, but it's just because our brain works that way, that's just what I had to go off from. And even then, like, you know, just growing up in the culture where like, you know, mental health 
stigma is just it's it's such a big thing and you know an Asian background um, whether it is growing up in Sydney but it was just that you know my parents grew up with the fact that well it, that stuff doesn't exist it's like you know you just you just look you know it stuff happens to you trauma happens to you you just move on I grew up with the lens of just okay so well I don't know how to manage this it's like did they do the same so you know I, I just I suffered in silence and and that's the, the sad part about it and I think that's also with ADHD like just not knowing until really someone brings it up. But yeah, with all the self-harm and that, I think I, I was very lucky to have a cousin in the same grade during high school and she knew I was very depressed and, you know, you have all these moods and, you know, everything that's all at once, especially in that, that very sensitive time that you're growing. She just knew. I remember running to the bathroom and, and she'd followed me and ran, you know, and, and like she knew I had scissors in my hands. I'm sorry if this is checking anyone, but she she had to like, pushed the stall down and just pretty much just said like just stop and just started crying and yeah and I just still remember that to this day because she's just like you know you you had so many of those because you just didn't know you didn't know what it was and I'm like I yeah it, it and if someone had told me that that was that I still don't know how I would have managed because no one was going to steer me in the right direction even the um school counselor was just saying you're just sad that's just how you're dealing with it you're just sad mm. and I remember feeling so hurt when they said that I'm like so you're not gonna help me oh isn't that your job but yeah it, with the whole bullying I think I was always taught to you know stand my ground and and be tough but you know I think it affected me more when other people were getting bullied so I tried to step in for them and and kind of guard them and I did a couple of times I mean it got pretty violent but not to the point where no one was bleeding it was more like pushing bags and then you know all that because it wasn't an old girls school but yeah, like, I mean, emotions are always at, at high in, um, in a class full of girls. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, that's a theme we've talked about a lot throughout the podcast episodes about that increased empathy and the, like, really, you know, intense drive for social justice and and protecting others. And I do, I think it comes from that feeling of, of being feel you know so many of us felt felt very lonely and socially isolated and and always feeling other and less than you know and so it's sort of it's easier to care for other people than it is to care for ourselves and also not having the tools really to care for ourselves so i don't know much about a, the connection between adhd and self harm but it makes sense to me just in terms of some of the extreme behaviors that we all have encountered either, you know, in terms of self-soothing or, you know, ways in which we've had to manage that the deep feelings of sadness and loneliness that we had to deal with at very young ages. No, absolutely. And you know what, it, it, it's funny because during that time, it's not funny, but it was, I'm amused at it now because looking back at that <laughs> yeah, not then, but now. But no, I just want to interrupt you. I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I, we always do that. It's like whatever we're talking about, really, really like traumatic things, we laugh, and I'm like, it's it's a total coping mechanism. But anyway, yeah, I, I'm no, here for it. No, no, I totally get it. I hear that a lot, and it's like, but because you're, you know, in a better place, you know, so it's 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 okay. But yeah, so looking back at that with a different lens now, but. You know, back then in, in high school, it was, you know, Tumblr was such a big thing and um, everyone was on it. And I think the most recurring thing was just seeing a lot of self-harm and people writing about it. And I think obviously with us, it was just like if we saw it, we'd, you know, we'd copy that. 
and whether or not that was how I, how I felt, but I felt like that that was, I guess that was my only option because I didn't know how else to deal with it um, other than cry and, and, and just, you know, vent. But then at the end of that, it's like, what else can I do? It's still there. It's still so much emotion. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Now it has sort of a, a nice ending to it in the in the you, your decision to cover some of your scars with a tattoo, which I love this story. Yeah. You share it? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um I think I was very very lucky and honored to have shared this story uh with Christy and I knew who's pretty amazing. She's a First Nations um artist here in uh, Australia. But uh I reached out to this tattoo artist cuz he actually had this fundraiser going for um, Beyond Blue um, for a while. And like one of my goals was to get a tattoo for a course. I already have so many thanks to my impulsivity. Um, but I said, look, my next one has to be, <laughs> my next one has to be for a cause. Let's get one for a cause. And I've got about three uh, for causes, but this one was specifically um, to support mental health. And he had this running on um, Instagram and he's like, you know, he's trying to share it and market it. And he was like, you know, I want to, his background was that he had, covered a lot of self-harm scars um, back in Brazil, I believe. And and then he came here to do more tattoo work and um, he wanted to do the same. And he just said, like, why don't, why don't I just support uh, mental health instead of, instead of, you know, getting those, that, that funds for myself, like it, well, who's it going to help? It's going to help these people. And I thought that was amazing. And I actually reached out to him, but it was like the day before the actual fundraiser was about to start. And he only had like limited availabilities. I mean, tattoos take up time and, and, you know, he wanted only four people or three max, depending on how long those tattoos took and how big the scars were. So, um, I pretty much reached out like, look, I've only got a couple, but it's like, I would love the hungry, very hungry kind of pillow tattoo. And then lucky enough, the receptionist was like, yeah, you've got a spot. Come in here tomorrow. We've got an interviewer coming in. Um, and you know, they're going to interview you and let's do it. But yeah, and then I remember like, you know, they pretty much said like, you know, why why are you choosing like this? And I, I thought, well, you know, I'm constantly growing and, you know, and I don't know where I'll be, but, you know, I might not be a butterfly, but I, um, I'm definitely growing and I'm going to be learning. And it's also because of the childcare background and how much passion I do have there for the children and how much my, it was my favorite book. I think my sister had um, bought me this book as a young child and it's just, it's a, it's a great story. I enjoy it. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, it's funny because uh, I think about my children. I don't know if this is neurodivergent. But I assume it must be, though, but that, that you know, they wanted to read the same book over and over and over again. Maybe that's just a childhood thing. You probably know better than I do. But one of the books that my son was obsessed with was The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And um, oh, that's such a sweet story. I love that. And uh, I bet you're the kids you work with also are like, oh, look. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a definite conversation starter. I've been dragged to parents to to show the tattoo. Um, so, um, no, it's, it's been very sweet. And, I get, you know, that, that also encourages me to go like, well, I got this for this reason. But, yeah, it's actually kind of sad that because when I did get interviewed for this um, with Chrissy and I knew, I actually walked out of that interview and I looked up that, Eric Carl, the um, the author of the book, had passed away R- right after, and I was like, "Oh, it's kind of a great like um, honor to to have it in and in, in like in his memory almost." So it was, yeah, it was kind of bittersweet. Yeah. Hey, friend. If there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning 
coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyperfocus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access self-guided and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash womenADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash womenADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. So you've been working in child care for quite a few years now. And did you notice, like, are do you... I assume, like many of us, you had kind of a a stereotype of what ADHD looks like, that it was sort of a a naughty little boy thing. Do you look at your kids differently? Are you noticing signs? Are you, you know, what is it? What are you seeing that you never saw before? Yeah, well, um, I left childcare recently, but it it now is a recruiter. But they, but I just, there's this one concurrent memory that I always look back on is that, yeah, obviously seeing all the boys, the males, you know, running around and all that sort and having it just so obvious. But then 
you know, noticing that, remembering all these parents coming to me and asking, how do I help my female child? Because there's so much happening there. I think she's just, I think she's just being emotional. What do I do? And I remember these set of parents coming up to me and going, we've done every parenting course. We've done all, we've read all the books. What do we do? Um, and you know, back then I, I didn't have an answer because I, let alone didn't even know what was happening with me. So, um, looking back at that, it was just, yeah, just now noticing, well, a lot of us don't even know how to, how to do it. Or even neurotypicals still don't know how to address that as well, especially if they don't know if they have it or not. And especially their children. So it was, um, yeah, it's, it makes it more obvious now, obviously noticing the signs in myself. Um, but still, I, I still sometimes fail to notice a lot of that, um, because it's not as obvious as males, of course. And yeah, of course, you know, as you know, it is uh, underdiagnosed, um, in women. And I think that still really does shock a lot of, uh, my coworkers now when I do raise this with them. And, and it's funny because now, um, now hearing a little, you know, telling them all about this, they've asked me all these questions. And I remember hearing a conversation in the lunchroom, someone going, I think I've got ADHD, but they think they'd said it as a joke. And this other lady had said, why do you think you have it? You don't have it. And then I, I've made it like uh, kind of committed to myself to try to talk to this lady and just go, do you want to have a chat? <laughs> um, and just trying to help her and see how that goes. But sorry, I've gone on a tangent, but um, it's interesting now. Yeah. Looking at it. I know that's, that's the reaction I have whenever somebody, whenever I'm talking about ADHD and somebody's like, that's ridiculous. Everybody's like that. And I'm like, maybe we, maybe we need to have a chat. <laughs> uh, so now you had also mentioned that your brother did some stimming and like, have, uh, okay, I want to ask about your family members. Cause we do that. You know, once we're diagnosed, we look over our whole family tree and we're like, oh, yep, yep. You definitely have it. You do. Um, but you know, you also mentioned some of the cultural stigma mm. from being from an Asian family mm. or Filipino, yeah. um, you know, what is, how did they react to the diagnosis? What has been, what has been some of that reaction? Um, yeah, so it's, it's quite interesting, but with, uh, well, thank God with my, my parents, they, I, I pretty much took them along with all my mental health and, and what I'd been going through. Um, cause I went through a, a sexual assault, um, when I was turning 20, I believe. And, um, I dealt with it in such a horrible way that it just, it pretty much registered as me moving out and coming back in because I didn't know how to explain to them and, you know, I just had so much shame and, and, you know, then eventually just telling them because I needed to. And, and then they, I pretty much told them like, you need to understand, I need to address this. And they were like, okay, because, you know, at, I was like at the risk of, you know, losing me. I, I don't want to not have a relationship with you. I want everything to be out in the open, but they're so used to just talking about surface level stuff that they were just like, okay, this is serious. Let's listen to you. And they do. And I think with the diagnosis, they were pretty much like, okay, good. Like, you know, what, what's going to happen now? And I, you know, told them I'm on medication and all this other stuff, but they pretty much have just welcomed it pretty well. Um, more than I, I would have imagined, which is, which is really good. Yeah. But I think, I believe with my sister, it was, it was a good realization with her. Cause I think it was even before my diagnosis that I was pointing out all the signs, um, there for her. And I remember we were sitting in the back of the car, we were just talking and she, we've got a bigger age gap. So she's got a child already. And, you know, she's looking at it from also a motherly lens, I'm sure. And she tried to help me a lot during um, my teenage years because, you know, I, it, there was a lot of anxiety there. And 
I always broke down to her. I remember she plucked me out of Sydney to fly me to Melbourne where she lives and just to be like, what do I need to do? Like, what's wrong? And, and, and I've just told her, I remember like, you remember that time you did that? It's because there's so much happening. I had no idea. And I think now it's obviously, pre- I'm presenting it as it, it is AD, it's ADHD. And she just, she went into a huge like realization and just went, oh my gosh, you're right. And then, you know, then we went into stories going like, you know, she said like, oh, I've got a coworker who's 26 and just got diagnosed. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I'm so glad, you know, you're, you're doing this, you're addressing it, you know? Um, but yeah. And then we also have a brother that we share and I mean, I think we're just assuming cause um, I, I don't think he'll ever really get assessed or neither will my nephew. We, we definitely think there might be something there um, obviously with the hair, hair curling and, um, and alike, but you know, it's, I think I believe I've heard my dad always go, well, that's that's his mum's side of, of, of things. And I'm like, well, would that mean that would present in everyone? Like, like is that autistic traits there? Or like, hello? Like, you know, and you know what they say. It's like if that's your normal, then then you probably got it. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, no, it's it's been really amazing because with this whole cultural, yeah, being, you know, Filipino and, and growing up in Sydney, um, it's actually helped my family in Philippines because I had to go back during uh, just before COVID, and at that point my cousin had just uh, had just had a baby, a baby boy, and I think she he was around one or two at that time, and he, she was really struggling and she didn't have an answer to it. And I remember just like observing him for a few hours and and just going, I, I think you need to get him assessed. Um, look, I'm like, and I'm not sure if that exists here, especially with such a backwards country in Philippines and then with all that stigma there, but they, but she was like, I don't know what you mean. I said, just, just give it a shot, find a doctor, tell them what your, your struggles are and tell them that you, you know, you want your son to get assessed. And I remember coming back to Sydney, um, and she, and the next day she had called my parents cause I was at work and she was bawling. She was crying. Um, I don't know whether it was from happiness, but I knew it was from sadness for sure because of how she interpreted mental health. But she pretty much said, uh, like, my son has a diagnosis of autism and we're putting him in specialist schools. And, yeah, and then my, you know, my parents told me the information and, and I remember messaging my cousin and going, like, I, I want you to be, like, I, I want you to know that, that, that I would, like, that was great what you did and I just want you to know, like, you're doing really well for your son. Like, if you hadn't done it, it would have been a greater, dis- greater disservice for him and I'm grateful that you're, you know, you're chasing this thread so that you can help him and help yourself. Um, so that's been really eye-opening for my family there because before they just ignore that stuff. They just play it off like, oh, that's just your behavior. Like, that's just who you are. And I'm like, well, no, like if that's, if you're going to suffer the consequences, you've got to address what's really happening and, you know, you just got to do it. And they, um, now they're very, very open to all that stuff and they like to listen. Um, They might not put an input or say anything, but they're a lot open to just being more mindful of what they say and hearing about it. So it's it's been great. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm getting very emotional thinking about that. Um, Because, you know, I do like as a parent, I understand that need, you know, it comes from such a place of love and protection, when we want 
when, but at the same time, like also feeling the external shame, right? Of like, oh, how are, you know, and I felt it with both my kids, even with their ADHD diagnosis or, you know, or, or my son who, you know, he loves to wear nail polish and he loves the color pink. And so there's always that part of me that I'm like, I accept him wholeheartedly. But when he wears pink to school, I'm like, do you really want to do that? You know, like I, you know, and so there's always that it's coming from a place of love and protection, but it's so denying his essence. And and I don't know, I just, I, <laughs> I, it's, I think it's very brave of parents who, you know, once they do have that diagnosis, it puts you in that place of, of advocacy. And it's just, you know, brings us to start spreading awareness, right? And for our own benefits and for the benefits of our kids, I think so many older women come to that, come to their diagnosis after like hardcore, hyper-focused <laughs> advocacy for their children. That's right. And then being like, huh, I, I share all of these traits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what, I, I feel like I'm getting bungled up again. I don't know. I'm not making any sense, but um, you know, I, I feel, I just feel so much, um, I just feel very tender toward, toward that mom. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally understand. And it sounds like your parents are great. They are. Yeah. I think, um, but that's, I totally understand. Like I, I, I respect all that because yeah, you're right. Like, you know, seeing that as a, as an educator, I, I, it was so hard to give that information to parents and just saying, because, you know, a lot of them would have reached, you know, five years old and, and these parents, you know, just go, Oh, that's just how this child is. And now, you know, I've just had this child the way they are. And, you know, I always had to, you know, talk to my, you know, my manager and anyone there. I'd just be like, you know, how do I approach this? And they didn't want to. And it was just so like, it was so, it was so upsetting because I'm like, we're doing such a great disservice to these parents and these families. Like, yes, it's horrible. It's like, it's, you don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you also want to help. And whether that's you getting the receiving end of a shouting match because they don't think that whatever their you know, child is, but it was always my duty. I always wanted to do that. So there was this, I've had multiple convers hard conversations with parents because, you know, it is, it's not really your place, but at the end of the day, it is, it's in your best interest. It is the best interest of that child. Um, they're the priority. And I remember having all these conversations with um, this specific set of parents and they were very against it because apparently what they had done, uh, they'd moved their child from another childcare center two hours because educators there had told them that their child was autistic. And, and they were threatening to do the same when I had told them. I said, look, I, I think that your child is presenting qualities in autism. You know, I didn't go like, your child has autism. It was more like, in a, you know, at a more approachable way and in a more open-minded way just to open that conversation. And they were like, no, I don't think so, and walked away. And I remember they had talked to the, the director and said like, well, you know, that we're not, they're not going to be here for a couple of days and they'll come back. And they did come back um, and they said, you know, we just want to be honest with you. We moved for this reason, but what do you think? Like, why why do you say that? And then it just it became a great um, thing to talk about and then eventually they got a diagnosis so you know it it can happen both ways it can be that you lose a family because they don't want to face it or they they don't believe it um or you you do have a fam you have a family and it does get emotional um but yeah there are there are two sides and it, it's it's still very inspiring from from yet yeah, whether you are advocating for it and you also get a diagnosis but also just 
trying to help others. And it's it's a very inspiring thing what you do, Katie. Oh, thank you. Well, I know. And I, I can see from their point of view, right, that a lot of the time, any learning disability feels, no, I, I, I think the stigma around ADHD is the fact that it's so often presented as a discipline issue, right? And so the parent is thinking, if you're telling their kid that, if you're telling them that their kid has, might have ADHD, they're hearing, you're telling me I'm a bad parent who can't, you know, control my kid. And so it's when they come from that place of defensiveness, I think it, it's such a, it, it, become so complicated because they're like, you know, how many times have those kids gone home and then their parents are like, all right, you have to study harder or even worse, you know, punish them uh, for for their behaviors. And then you just get stuck in that hamster wheel of of shame and, uh, you know, try harder. And then the kid being like, I am, I am. And, and it destroys their self-concept. And it's, ah, oh, God, I'm getting... <laughs> I feel like I'm so swept up in so many multiple thought processes right now, <laughs> which is no, nothing new for me. Anyway, I'm going <laughs> to, I also wanted to ask you about your husband because you're a military spouse, correct? Mm. Yeah. And so I secretly, I don't know if I've talked about this much on the, I think, feel like I may have mentioned this once on the podcast before, but I always wanted to join the military and I, I never did, I, but it was so appealing to me. And so I secretly think there are a lot that the military is filled with autistics and ADHDers because there's so much structure and so much mm. rigor, right? Yeah. And activity. And it's just like perfect for our brains. So do you think he might? be neurodivergent? I mean, <laughs> this is such a great question. I'm so glad you brought this up. It's so funny because I know for a fact my, my, like his brother, so my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law will listen to this and they're just going to be like, yeah. <laughs> um, because we, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because we've, um, obviously we, we know that, um, my, uh, so my husband's brother, um, our nephew, uh, from him, um, he's diagnosed, diagnosed, um, he's got autism. Um, and they've helped him so well um, through that process. So, but they, you know, then they realize, well, it's genetic. And this is the same sister-in-law who, yeah, who helped was yeah. talking to you about ADHD yeah. too, right? Okay. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So she actually helped her now stepson through that because when they'd met, the, when my brother-in-law and her met, there was no diagnosis, there was nothing there. And, it, and she just kind of looked at this child and was like, okay, we need to get help. <laughs> So it's been quite an interesting journey with her helping us through all this because she's like, you all have something. <laughs> um, like it's just she's the answer to it. She's great. But she's yeah, pretty much like, you know, it's genetic. You all have it. Like let's all just trace this back. What's going on? But no, I definitely think like, I, I definitely think my husband has has something because I, I definitely think it's autism. Like he even said a couple of years back, he's like, I think I've got it. And I remember going, how dare you say that? And I think it was because I was like, I don't know what I had. And like, it was just, I, it was just so much emotion. But now going, yeah, you've got something. Like, you just love, you know, you love the rigor and you love structure. And I'm here like, I need to be flexible. Like, you know, and, and I remember seeing this post the other day. Sorry, I'm going tangent, I'm going off on a tangent. But I'm seeing this post the other day, like an autistic person sees an ADHD person and they go. They tell the ADHD person, "Oh, you're like me, but fast." <laughs> um, and it's been such a journey with it because I, I like, I now obviously with this lens, just enjoying 
watching all the tidbits and all the stuff that we have that mesh well together and then the stuff that we have to you know learn and try to mix together so no definitely he definitely has something because you know and we're still waiting for this but I think he's just had so many well strategies around him that he he doesn't need it because he's just kind of like well it is not suffering but at at the end of that also he he is going through like at the moment to address a lot of his trauma Um, and we actually did have a great conversation about this the other day it was more like I think you brought this up with um Dr Kelly I believe it was about if trauma really is why we have this and, and, and it's exacerbated, but you know, um, by all that. Cause I remember my, um, my psychiatrist saying, well, you know, your trauma exacerbated your ADHD and, uh, and me just sitting there going, then everyone's got it, you know, and a huge thing, but sorry, no, I've gone on a tangent, but definitely. Yeah. I, yeah, he's, <laughs> we're all looking at him and, and point, pointing out the signs. So it's, it's, it's there. <laughs> Right. Well, and I think it's also, you know, why I so often gravitate toward the term neurodivergent, because I feel like there's like, we have a certain wiring. And then depending on our upbringing, our experiences, the all of the trauma that everybody experiences as a neurodivergent, all of those micro traumas we're constantly receiving, right? Yes, seriously, like conversation starters. Yeah. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless cancelled. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens, and it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates, so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womeninadhd.com coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. So what would you say you love most about your ADHD? Oh yeah, I was just thinking about that. It was the um, like you know you hear this a lot, you know, on, on the podcast and everywhere. It's like how entrepreneurial we all become, and 
and how many side hustles we've gone through and how creative we've gone. And like, I can, you know, it's just, it's true. And like, I never had something to, to base that off of. And now knowing that it was hyperfixations and, and how creative I actually am and just using that creativity in different outlets and, but no, that's that's a big thing. I thoroughly enjoy that about myself and realizing the past few days just how like driven I really am and how much high energy. Oh my gosh, during our reception, we have the video, but all my cousins, all my friends have just kept saying, you know, Ray is so loud. And I'm like, that's ADHD. Like, <laughs> like she's so awake in the morning. That's ADHD. Like, it's just, they pretty much diagnosed me and shared that diagnosis before I even got it the week after. And it was just so funny, like seeing all this. And I'm like, yeah, you guys realize you, you're related to an ADHD person. You're friends with an ADHD, you know, and it's just, but it's so good that they see that in such a positive light because, um, like, I enjoy that because I'm like, well, if you enjoy it, great. That's a good thing for everyone, you know, because I'm always like that. But, yeah, I think uh, I do love that about me because, you know, yeah, you, we we have so many thoughts that there are just new things coming up. And I feel like I have to have a notebook anywhere I go. Um, but I actually thought about this driving the other day, like, okay, why don't we, like, develop an app? that we can just be like, hey, can you write this note down? Because I have an idea for a new app that I probably never make, but I've got a great idea I could pitch to someone. <laughs> um, you know, it's a, yeah, an endless, endless stream of, of all that. And just, yeah, just, I don't know, being great multi I don't know. Right? The endless, like, brain dump to-do list of, of ideas or something. Yeah, I think that's really common with a lot of us. In fact, my father, who has never been diagnosed with anything, but I'm fairly sure is autistic and has ADHD. Um, but he always had a, a little like notepad that he would carry with him. And every time he met a new person, he would start a new chapter and and, and he would write them down. And he, whenever they would bring up something interesting, a personal detail about themselves, he would write it down like, oh, they really like, you know, strawberry iced tea or, or ice cream or you know like he he would write down these details so that he could remember these things about people and i'm like it's so weird and fascinating to me because it was like he you could see how he had such terrible working memory that he was like trying to hold on to details about people but also trying to like be thoughtful because that wasn't something that felt like it came naturally to him. But then at the same time, also like cataloging all of this information about people just was like, what are you doing? It's so weird. And now I'm like, oh, it all makes so much sense. <laughs> but when I was a teenager, it was so embarrassing because my father was always pulling out his notebook with my friends and being like, oh, so your food, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, Right. And I was like, you're so creepy. But now I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. Yeah. That's so sweet. But yeah, but like, yeah, like seeing it from a, you know, neurotypical lens, you're like, oh, that's very thoughtful. Like he's just writing it down. So he knows, you know, if he wants to get a gift, that's what he'll get. But then looking at through this lens, it's like, no, no, he's just having a hard time. This is how he's coping. <laughs> right. Right. And just, well, and just knowing that, you know, like so many of us, I think so many people who are diagnosed well 
into adulthood, you know, they've been Googling things like, do I have early Alzheimer's because our memory is so terrible? There I am laughing about Alzheimer's. Ha ha ha. But like, but like, you know, the idea of of how working memory plays into neurodivergence mm-hmm. and, and the ways in which we've tried to like intuitively hold on yeah. to ideas and, and keep yeah. them because every one of them feels so amazing and urgent and uh, they all just like, <laughs> fly away <laughs> that's right it's just yeah i it, it's funny because um my husband has also now started bringing around a notebook um but to jot his thoughts down and um and i'm like oh what else does he write in there <laughs> um so yeah no. <laughs> who knows we'll figure it out <laughs> <laughs> wait so wait do you want him to listen to this episode or no <laughs> <laughs> no i would i would love him to i think he he, he knows like how much i enjoy oh. advocating um for a lot of things and I think uh yeah like it's a no-brainer a lot of my family will listen to this which is also good because I I haven't been silent about it like they've been through this with me like a lot of my cousins uh listen uh like you know follow along uh you know and my best friend too and it's it's been really encouraging and supportive so I think yeah it's it's good to be surrounded by a good support network for sure oh that's really sweet um I think you know and it's one of those things like there's been some backlash recently about ADHD content on TikTok and how there's so many, I mean, there's so many creators on TikTok who are talking about ADHD, which doesn't surprise me because everybody on that app is neurodivergent because we're like moths to a flame with mm, that app. Yeah. It's just like insane dopamine. Um, yeah. But you know that there's been, I've, I've heard criticism about people talking about like how creators will only are only portraying ADHD as this like weird, quirky, hilarious thing. And Oh, look at me. I bump into, things and um you know they're not really able to really show how deeply our self-worth is is affected by being neurodivergent and that there's a real real struggle there and how do you articulate that duality it's really really difficult to articulate and so why i think these conversations are so healing is we are able to really show even though we talk about trauma and laugh like we're showing how deeply complex our relationship is with adhd and ourselves and all of it and so i think you know when there's something i feel like that's how you know rather than saying to your family members i have adhd it's like there's so much behind that yeah. <laughs> because you don't know what they're thinking they don't, you don't know what their knowledge is of adhd so it's like no you have to like i have to explain everything <laughs> no yeah that's right um, that's right yeah. yeah it's it's funny because when i did tell them it was like through a facetime and i was like look i you know i do have it and then they were like oh like yeah well and, and they didn't know yet what to say but they were just like help us understand it like what like they were pretty much basing the question off of why I would take medication and I said well picture yourself going to a concert and you're in the mosh pit everything is just happening and that's me no no with no medication and they're like okay and I was like and then when you go home and you're all calm and your ears are pretty much leveled out and they're all good and like there's no sound that's me on meds and they were pretty much like Oh my God, that's a really good analogy. And that is a really good yeah, analogy. But yeah. And like, cause I'm like, I knew that they would, um, resonate with that because they would totally understand that, that, you know, the difference and how they would feel in those, both those moments in a neurotypical way. And I think I also was like, Oh, it was a good, it was a good analogy. Like, thank you. I didn't know that. And they, <laughs> they were just like, yeah. It's like, they're like, 
okay, so that's why this is, you know, and, and like, that's why you are you. And I'm like, there's a lot more than that, but sure. Like, you know, like we can just start there and then we'll dig deeper. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. Until next time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I like that analogy. Yeah, um, I'll have you. to, I'll have to remember that one. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So I have to ask if you could rename ADHD, would you, would, do you have another name you could give it? I think, you know, this one really struggled. I, I struggled with this question because I'm like, there's so much. I remember hearing very early. I don't have one, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's great that you asked because it's like, <laughs> it's like, it prompts everyone to think like, whoa, that's hard, you know? Um, but I, I heard one earlier in, in your, uh, in your podcast, uh, someone had said it was like an, the energizer, uh, the bunny as an energizer bunny. I love that one a lot, but I think I would, I would probably name it, um, it's probably like we're just dopamine seeker. Like, I mean, isn't everybody though? But then that, that would that wouldn't obviously set us apart. But it's just that we're just we just need more of it, you know, because we're lacking it. But yeah, that's definitely something. Because I'm like, I never really point out that I need dopamine until someone goes, "Oh, you're shopping again." It's like, "Oh, you're you're doing this." Oh, you're you got you got more strawberries. Oh, it's like. Oh yeah, I'm trying to get happy again. Like, you know, and it, yeah, it's not until someone points it out. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm, I kind of like mosh pit syndrome. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so much better. Oh, I like that. I love that. Um, I, I, I do remember reading someone saying something like we're, we're sim characters. Like, you know how we play sims and you're, you've got those actions lined up, but then you're in a room, you've just forgotten everything. And, and then, yeah, you're a sim. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, it, it's, I found that funny too. <laughs> but I definitely love mosh pit syndrome. I think I'll, I'll put that on somewhere. <laughs> well, Ray, I, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your story and your diagnosis and um, your awesome family members. And <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you. It's been such an honor listening to you and, and everyone on this podcast. It's made me feel less alone and you guys are also inspiring. And thank you for giving um, myself and others a voice to this community. Oh, thank you. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one -on -one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com slash coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. <music>